from the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. Greetings, this is Vern Jewett, and this is the Holiness Podcast. And we are really excited that you have joined us today and are going to uh, be with us as we do some in-depth Bible study on the subject of holy living. The, uh, The text we've chosen today is from the New Testament, and the title of our study is going to be Holiness in Word and Deed. Now, Holiness, if anything, is a matter of everyday practical living, and we've talked about that so many times. But this will be a perfect example to allow us to think about how we live our lives set apart for Jesus every day that God gives us to live. Now, before we go to the passage, which will be in Acts the third chapter, so I invite you to turn to that part of the Bible, Acts chapter 3. I would just say a word of introduction. We're going to be looking at the the early church. In fact, we're going to be looking at the very first incident recorded in the history of the early church as it is presented in the book of Acts. But to precede that, I would like to remind us that the greatest example of ministry in word and deed, which is what I like to call holistic ministry, is the life and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. In him, when he was alive on earth, word and deed didn't fall apart. He had it together. His lifestyle and his message illumined each other. I would just say uh, something self-evident. Jesus didn't announce office hours when he would be available to discuss the grace of God or spiritual things. Rather, by consorting with sinners and everyday neighbors, he became the grace of God to those he met. Holiness in word and deed. Now, If you've turned to Acts chapter 3, we're going to begin by reading the first 10 verses. This is a very familiar story and a very exciting story. I'm reading from the New International Version, Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention 
expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What a story. And we're going to look a little beyond that as we move through this lesson. But this is the very first incident recorded. You know, the end of chapter 2 has those wonderful verses from 42 to 47 about the activities of the church every day. But when the story begins to take form in narrative fashion, here comes this story with Peter and John and this amazing miracle. Now, the outline of this teaching is going to have four main points as we work through the passage. However, probably more important is I'm going to point out five principles for holy living as we go through the text and study this passage. Now, the first thing I would say to you is word and deed are a wonderful description of everyday living. The Salvation Army has used sharing the gospel in word and deed as one of our mottos down through the years. When we decided to have a Salvation Army journal of practical ministry, a theological journal, it wasn't surprising that the decision was made to call it Word and Deed. Because Word and Deed describes the normal activities which we have as we live out our lives. And this story begins with a deed. It's a deed of shalom, a deed of wholeness. Isn't it interesting that the book is called The Acts of the Apostles and not the words of the apostles. But having read those first 10 verses, we read about Peter and John, who were leaders of the church in Jerusalem, going to the temple. On the way, a beggar asked them for charity. Peter says, look at us. The man does so, expecting to get something. And then Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, what an interesting thing. Here at the beginning of the church, the very first event recorded is not preaching or sharing whatever the first version of the four spiritual laws is or was, 
but instead is an incident of redemptive living, a deed of shalom, a deed of healing, of wholeness. Notice in the story that the deed precedes the word. Now that is often the case as we live out our lives, but I don't want you to focus on the physical miracle. Rather, I want you to focus on Peter's words, what I have, I give you. Friends, we have the same God, the same Holy Spirit, the same opportunities, the same privileges in Christ, and the same promises. And this brings us to the first principle for holy living, which is simply offer who you are and whatever you have. Holiness means that God wants to use the complete you for his purposes. Now, there's no particular temperament or personality type for a holy person. I must admit, when I was a boy, my picture of someone who would be called holy was kind of of a particular temperament type. A quiet, gentle, soft-spoken, not aggressive kind of person. Well, uh, Peter certainly doesn't fit that particular picture, does he? Brash and impulsive. You see, you and I were saved to be holy, and the world needs the Spirit-filled you and the Spirit-filled me. There is no substitute. Remember, holiness is all about offering ourselves to God, not about achieving. And so, principle one sounds simple, but it is so critical to understanding how to live victorious Christian lives and how to be set apart. Offer who you are and whatever you have every day. Now, the story moves on from the deed to the word. And we're going to pick up at verse 11 and kind of work through these verses and talk about the deed being followed by the word of God. Verse 11 says, While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, notice that the beggar held on to Peter and John. If he hadn't, there wouldn't have been the same opportunities that come in the story to point to Jesus and to spread the good news. I would observe that he held on because he wanted a relationship. If there's anything we have stressed over the last couple of years on this podcast, it is that holiness is not about behavior, it is about relationships, primarily. Verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? It's not because of us, he says. 
And he's going to go on to say, it's because of God. It's because of Jesus. One of the first things we should be very quickly and always ready to do is to disclaim any personal responsibility for what miracles God does and for the way that he leads and guides us. Go on to verse 13. Oh, verse, yes, verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. Well, those are strong words. Peter immediately interprets the deed in light of salvation history. He knew who his hearers were. He was sensitive to this opportunity to speak to the men and women of Israel. And he applied the truth to his hearers. We're going to go to verse 14. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you all can see. It's Jesus' name and faith that brought about the healing. This is an example of a principle well established in the New Testament. Principle number two is that whoever listens to you listens to God. You see, living a holy life keeps you and me from living in isolation because we are aware that our call is to serve others and to take the gospel to the world. Now, maybe you are tempted to think, that's putting a lot on me. Uh, I'm just an ordinary person. Well, you know, there is no ordinary Christian because ordinary becomes earth-shaking in the life of a spirit-filled Christian. Jesus' words come to mind when we think about this principle. In Luke 10, 16, after he had sent out the 72, part of his teaching to them when they came back was, He who listens to you listens to me. And that's an echo of the Old Testament call to the people of Israel. Ezekiel 3.7 says, But the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. Here is the imperative of the gospel. Here is our calling, the purpose of our lives. Whoever listens to us will listen to God because of the presence of God's Holy Spirit. I love that old song. You probably know it. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory. To tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. 
Now that brings us to principle number three. I have to tell you that this principle was brought to my attention in a wonderful book on evangelism by a man named Walter Bleeker. And he said this, Everyone you meet is either a Christian or a pre-Christian. Now I want you to think about that. <laughs> Everyone you meet is either a Christian or a pre-Christian. This, of course, reminds us of the wonderful Wesleyan doctrine of prevenient grace. The truth is that anyone whom we meet and whom we engage in life, we can be sure that God has gone before and has spoken in some way to that person. He always does so. Here's a couple of wonderful truths that fit into this principle. Any and every person is capable of responding to God's grace. Maybe there are people we would not think of as a pre-Christian because of our own judgment of who they are, of their lives, their behavior. But dear friends, there are no hopeless cases. There are no lost causes. There are no people for whom Jesus did not die and whom Jesus does not desire to come into their lives and to bring them into a saving knowledge through him and into a right relationship with God. Another truth that comes into play when we talk about everyone we meeting being either a Christian or a pre-Christian is that no matter how much of a shipwreck you have made of your life, God has a perfect plan for you or for that person from this moment on. Do you see obstacles that seem to be overwhelming? <laughs> well, do you remember Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, the fire-breathing, murderous persecutor of the Jews? Friends, there are probably stories among you who are listening that are modern-day miracles that equal the deliverance of this man Saul or of this man in Acts 3 crippled from birth. Your life and my life is a mission. No one comes into our life without God having a reason for giving us life. Holiness is everyday, moment-by-moment moment living as you and I are led by the Holy Spirit. This is why I find this particular study so helpful. Our lives are made up by words and deeds, and the most simple act or word can lead to a spiritual miracle, to a cataclysmic intervention by God, which is always a breath away from any person you meet. Dear friend, you are prominent to someone. You are important to someone. Use your prominence redemptively. 
That's holiness. That's being set apart. Well, after word and deed, or deed and word, as it took place in this story, the third step in our story, this, the third point in our study, is the verdict. Now, by, by verdict, I am speaking about the call to make a decision. Let's pick up reading at verse 19. And read this part of our story. Actually, verse 19, you'll recognize, is that call to a verdict. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And as you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers, he said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The word repent. Now, last month, we spent a good deal of time talking about repentance which is a constant reorienting ourselves, a constant turning back to God. It speaks of the 180-degree turnaround that we make when we accept Jesus as our Savior. If you and I are willing to talk about Jesus, our lives are far more likely to stay on track. If Jesus will flow from my lips as easily as my favorite sports team or restaurant, I will be much more likely to stay spiritually strong. When I was a kid attending the Salvation Army churches and camps in the Midwest part of the country, one of the favorite choruses we, we would sing, and this is back in the 50s, went like this, let's talk about Jesus. The King of Kings is He, the Lord of Lords Supreme throughout eternity. The Great I Am, the Way, the Truth, the Life, the Door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. In a wonderful series of messages last year at the Salvation Army Bible Conference at Lake Junaluska, North Carolina, Dr. Dan Boone, president of Trevecca Nazarene University, spoke about the category-shattering presence of Jesus. We need to call for a verdict, and that may be no more than speaking the name of Jesus as we meet and engage people in our everyday lives. So we have deed followed by word, followed by verdict. And the fourth 
point in our study today is trouble. <laughs> now what comes in the story is trouble. Now I'll remind you that uh, there weren't chapter divisions when this uh, letter, uh, this uh, book of Acts was written and circulated around the Christian Mediterranean world. And so the story goes right on beginning with chapter 4. And let's just read a couple of verses. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Well, point number four is trouble, and that's what comes next. Isn't it interesting, as we observe the people, the priests, the captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees, all upset at Jesus' teaching, and the truth is that Jesus suffered and was executed most for what he said, not just what he did. I jotted a little note to myself here. Is it possible that Christians today and the church today is seldom crucified because it never says anything of great significance? Folks, we need to be ready for trouble. Peter and John were put in jail, but you noticed, of course, that didn't stop the power of the gospel. Many believed them, and the church grew by 5,000 men. Well, I believe this sequence, word and deed, and verdict and trouble, is life as God has planned it. Now, just stick with me a minute here, okay? Trouble means his word is being delivered. Trouble is the natural consequent of the gospel. Trouble leads to miracles. You may remember Jesus' words in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now I want you to notice there are three elements in that verse trouble and peace and overcoming. And there is no overcoming without trouble. Here's principle number four. Trouble is the open door to spiritual miracles. Listen to that again. Principle number four. Trouble is the open door to spiritual miracles. Why? Because when you confront the human condition, in other words, people being separated from God, lost in sin, the battle for souls and lives and eternity is engaged. There's a real way in which trouble is our calling. 
You and I should have our antennas up. Whenever there is an opportunity to walk through an open door to a redemptive moment, don't always run away from troubles. Holiness, you see, means that we walk in the clutches of a living God. God wants our words and deeds to be anointed and spirit-filled because we live in the consuming presence of trouble. All around us, anguish, pain, addiction, chaos. Seems more so these days, doesn't it? Especially those of us that are older. But I don't think it is. It's just more visible. Life-threatening moments in the lives of broken people who are loved by God. The people who come to you the people whom you encounter may be spiritually healthy or may be barely hanging on to life, gasping for spiritual breath. Of course, we don't know that simply by being in their presence. Friends, I believe in cataclysmic interventions by God because if you are not in the clutches of God, you are in the clutches of sin. That brings us to principle number five. I should say that this is all about our growing and maturing. We can't grow without change that makes us more like Jesus. We can't grow without change that restores God's image in us. Principle five is that nothing grows in the comfort zone. What is the comfort zone? The comfort zone is you and I failing to live consciously in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's you and I failing to allow the Holy Spirit to walk with, guide, convict, protect, and use us. It's our failing to be set apart for him. I don't think any verse presents it better than Galatians 2.20. Not I, but Christ lives in me. He's here. He wants to change the world. He wants to do that through you and through me. Now I'd like to make two closing, concluding observations. This whole idea of life as word and deed has captivated me. I think it sums up everything that we are. Our, our days are filled with doing and speaking. And here are the two observations. Deed without word is not being set apart for Jesus. When we are silent or hesitant to speak up for Jesus or for the gospel, something else in this hyper-stimulating world is going to fill the gap. Superstitious, sinful influences will quickly step in and make their bids. Now, some would say innocently, well, proclamation is unnecessary. Just do good. Word is not important. Or they would say, 
deeds are sufficient to carry on an authentic presentation of the gospel. But I would respond, not so. The Bible says that our righteousness, no matter how good it is, is as filthy rags. None of us are good enough to suggest that our lives are enough. You see, people need the Lord, and we need to speak his name. Romans 10.14 comes to mind. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? People must be called to faith in Christ. As we do the Lord's work in our daily living, we must share the good news of Jesus Christ. Deed without word is not being set apart for Jesus. Peter finishes this story, actually, in the 12th verse of chapter 4, when he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is only one name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. And here's the second observation. Word without deed is not being like Jesus. I would say the tragedy of modern evangelism and much of the modern expression of the church is to call many to faith, but few to obedience. If you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, then undoubtedly you have responded at some point in your life and declared that you will go, that you will be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. But our deeds must accompany our words. We must be obedient. I'm reminded of the parable in Matthew chapter 21, it's verses 28 to 32. I'm turning to it here. You may recall it. Jesus said to his disciples, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the field. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Perhaps you have declared, stood up in church, said to your friends and your brothers and sisters in Christ, I'll go, I'll be a follower, I'll be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We've made our promises. We've taken our vows to the Father. The question for us today may be, have we gone? Well, a closing thought or two on word and deed. The Colossians 
has Paul saying to that church, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, we are called to be the outstretched hand of Christ to a world that desperately needs him. And when Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, he's talking about our whole lives. The wonderful John Perkins said, if we are unable to connect our words to our deeds, then we have in fact not yet presented the gospel to society. This is holiness in word and deed. A closing thought. A small boy asked his 12-year-old sister, just as the sermon concluded, Now, is it all done? No, she whispered back. It's just all said. Now we must go out and do it. Dear friends, you and I are in the clutches of God. And our desire is to be like Jesus. There was a chorus we sang when I was a boy. My desire to be like Jesus. My desire to be like him. His spirit fill me. His love overwhelm me. In word and deed. To be like him. Let's just have a word of prayer as we close our study this month. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for its clarity. We thank you for that message that we have focused upon today. And our prayer is that you will help us in word and deed to be faithful disciples and to be willing to share every moment, every day of our lives, the gospel by our actions and by our words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been great to be in the book of Acts uh, and to have this story, and it's been great to have you with us today. Uh, we invite you to come back uh, next month and join us on the Holiness Podcast. This is Vern Jewett signing off for this month, and we'll see you the next time. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you.